what's behind the conservative backlash against the Taylor Swift-Travis Kelsey relationship? And our second topic today, what is the moral significance of the congressional interrogation of Mark Zuckerberg and other executives of social media companies last week? Welcome to New Idea Live. I'm Ilan Jurna. I'm joined today by my colleague, Ankar Gatte. Ankar, welcome. Hi, Ilan. So let's start with the congressional hearings of social media uh, involving social media companies and this issue, as it was described in the newspapers, as child online safety or child exploitation. There's a number of ways this was put. And I think it's important to understand what's the actual issue versus what's the announced issue in these hearings. So why don't we start with playing a clip from one of the senators who was uh, speaking. I think this is clip one. Gavin's son got online to Instagram and was tricked by a group in Nigeria that put up a young lady posing to be his girlfriend. And as things go at that stage in life, he gave her some photos, uh, compromising sexual photos, and it turned out that she was part of a, a extortion group in Nigeria. They threatened the young man that if you don't give us money, we're going to expose these photos. He gave them money, but it wasn't enough. They kept threatening, and he killed himself. They threatened Mr. Guffey and a son. These are bastards by any known definition. Uh, Mr. Zuckerberg, you and the companies before us, I know you don't mean it to be so, but you have blood on your hands. You have a product. You have a product that's killing people. Product that is killing people. Okay, I wanted to start with you. What's actually going on in these hearings? And it's important to stress at the outset, we played a clip from Lindsey Graham, her Republican, but this was a consciously bipartisan event. I think we, we heard in the three plus hours of this hearing from both Republicans and Democrats, and they were in one voice saying, I think, the same message over and over again. So they, there was a significant alignment. How do you understand what's happening in this hearing? Yes, in the hearing, they often, the senators would say, we have unanimous agreement here on this uh, judicial panel about some of these issues. So yeah, this certainly is a bipartisan issue. And yeah, it's so it's allegedly or nominally about uh, the ex sexual exploitation of minors of children on these social media platforms. And that's one case that Lindsey Graham is bringing up. And it's, I don't think there's any doubt. And I don't think the CEOs would say that their platforms aren't used sometimes by bad actors. And Lindsey Graham in, in that the clip, it's, it's these people are bastards. But instead of making the target the people who are bastards, the target is these CEOs. And it's that, oh, you have blood on your hands. And imagine telling, um, take two different kinds of cases. So automobiles have been used by terrorists to mow down people. Um, I mean, they're sort of deliberately used as a weapon. They drive in crowded places to maim and kill people. Would you tell the CEO of, of G, GM or of Toyota, well, look, your car's used by bastards and bad actors 
to actually kill people. And here, I mean, it's there. It's much more direct than social media as a means to intimidate and we're going to expose your pictures and so on. Here, the cars you literally used as a weapon. Would you say that to them? Well, you have blood on your hands. Um, and if you think that, oh, well, the answer to that might, yeah, that might be yes. Think of these senators and particularly the Republicans, if you switched it from automobiles to guns and you said, look, you manufacture guns. Yes, a lot of people use them for recreational uses but, and hunting and so on. But there's criminals who use guns to, um, to kill people in, in horrendous ways. You have blood on your hand. When it gets to that, because they're um, think of themselves as we're pro Second Amendment, we're pro guns, we're protecting the gun lobby. It will they'll resist that argument, but they feel no shame in using it to go after the tech CEOs, and that's part of the reason. I mean, there's much more we could say, and we should we will say about what this hearing really is about. But just that should get the target is not. We're here to protect the children. The target is we're here to punish, penalize, shame the CEOs of some of America's most successful companies. One thing that comes across listening to the hearings is that there, there is, as you said, real exploitation of children. There's real problems, bad actors on these platforms. And I don't think anyone questions that. But the politicians in the hearing were in my view, actually exploiting the families who were brought in and who were there showing pictures of their, their children who were um, bullied, harmed, or who took their own life. So in a certain families were brought in as pawns for this purpose of shaming the social media companies. And I, I think it's important to show what we mean by the shaming of these CEOs. So it, it, this isn't just a hectoring interview or a questioning. I, I think it's important to see the centers were really seeking to demoralize these leaders. So I, if we can play the clip with Mark Zuckerberg being questioned by Josh Hawley, so another Republican senator, but notice what how this plays out. Seriously, is making sure that we build industry-leading tools to find harmful to content, make money. take it off the services, uh, to make money, and to build tools that empower parents. So you didn't take any people. action. You didn't that's take any true, action. Senator. You didn't fire anybody. You haven't that's compensated a single not, victim. Let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. There's families of victims here today. Have you apologized to the victims? I, Would I'm, you like to do so now? Well, They're here. You're on national television. Would you like now to apologize to the victims who have been harmed by your product? Show them the pictures. Would you like to apologize for what you've done to these good people? Mr. Zuckerberg, why should your company not be sued for this? Why is it that you can claim you hide behind a liability shield? You can't be held accountable. Shouldn't you be held accountable personally? Will you take personal responsibility? Senator, I, I think I've already answered this. I mean, this is. So that's the flavor. And if you caught a glimpse of Mark Zuckerberg, uh, his face as he's being questioned and as he's being 
I think, intimidated into apologizing to these families. I don't know what anyone else would do in that situation. I think whether he meant to apologize to many, it was sincere. It, that's not in question. I think he was on national television and being pressured by someone with immense power over his business to turn around and take responsibility for something that I don't think credibly he is responsible for. I mean, maybe at the margins, there are things that Facebook and Meta could have done differently. And that is a question you could ask, but I don't think it's right to view him as responsible for every time that his algorithms or his staff fail to, to catch something or intercept something. And I think this is part of what, we've said this in other contexts when there are hearings around social media, there's a gross underappreciation of the scale of these businesses and the challenge of, of looking at the content and even with computers doing the heavy lifting and the algorithms filtering for content, it is non-trivial to figure out what's happening. And, and I think that is completely dropped out of the picture in these hearings. And there, there are other clips we could show, but I, I think the important point is that these, these are immense companies with very complicated systems. And it's as if they're small shopkeepers and you let this one apple in your, uh, in your stall have a worm in it. And how could you miss this one apple? And you've got a thousand apples that you're trying to keep track of and you'll never catch every single problem. Uh, at that scale. So, but it's even that isn't quite capturing the immensity of the challenge. But that's not what's significant to the people questioning them. They're not interested in what does it actually look like to tackle this kind of problem. Because I can't imagine it's in, in the interest of Facebook or any of the other affiliated companies under Meta to have this happen. I'm sure they want to prevent this because it's not good for them. It, it'll drive away people from using their platforms. So I think there's a, clearly a misunderstanding of how these companies operate and what their interests here are. Um, Ankar, I was curious to hear from you on this, and particularly that scene where Zuckerberg is made to apologize to these to these parents. Yeah, it, it's so shameful, but not for the reasons that it's thought of, and that Hawley's trying to make it look like that that Zuckerberg should feel ashamed, and is he going to? Uh, apologize and he's going to use some of his personal wealth to <clears throat> um, to give it to these families. So the, it's so outrageous and so shameful. You put it that there's some misunderstanding about the size of the platforms. These senators, it's not that they misunderstand it. Like that's too weak. Of the, they know the scale of these platforms. And indeed, it comes up later in the hearing that you know, yeah, you guys are huge, you make so much money. You couldn't be a mom and pop thing with 20 customers and so on, making billions and billions of dollars. So they know it full well, but are deliberately ignoring and evading it to make, to, to attempt to shame. So the person who should be apologizing is Josh Hawley. He should be apologizing to Zuckerberg and he should be apologizing to the families as well. So I agree with what you said completely that it's shameful the way they're parading the families here as they're just props in a political uh, show trial and a political argument. And I want to say a little bit about what, the, what they're trying to do, why they're trying to shame the CEOs. But the, it's Josh Hawley who should apologize and would never dream of apologizing. And the part of what is revealing about our political situation today is 
the Republican Party won't ask for him to apologize, and the Democratic Party won't ask for him to apologize, that there was something outrageous about this and about using these uh, grieving parents and grieving families as a prop. And I don't know if you remember, at the start of the hearing, they say, well, it, it's unusually we have a packed audience here, and they've clearly asked some of the parents and the families to come. And you can't be disruptive. There's no clapping, no this. And if you remember the, the Lindsey Graham, they clap and there's no chastising of the audience. You're not supposed to do this because it's scoring them political points. And here the what the committee is after is pass. What they want to do is pass controls, government controls on these companies and what they're trying to do is to shame the CEOs to support the legislation. So in this, I don't know, what was it, about three and a half hours, the whole um, um, committee, uh, I mean, it, it's, it has the atmosphere of a trial, that they're criminal. And the, the parents are brought out, like if you had a, a criminal convicted of rape or murder and, and like, multiple rapes or murders and you bring out the families like so the criminal has to face the victim and has to face the full reality of the harm destruction death that he's caused that's how they're treating these ceos even though they haven't been convicted of one crime uh, but they're treating them like they're already criminals and now we're going to parade your victims and we all know your victims and you have to face them it's i mean some of these ceos agreed to come and some had to be subpoenaed to come but i think one should think they're all under coercion they're all under duress precisely because the whole context of it is we're gonna pass controls over you and one of the senators said <clears throat> this comes later in the hearing that said that um yeah, we could destroy you. We could get you, run you out of business. We could regulate you to death. And are we going to do it? Well, maybe not. And partly his thing was, well, some other platforms will spring up that bad actors and evil people will use. So we don't want to completely destroy you, but we want to control you and we want to take over. And they want the CEOs to say, yeah, we support these controls, we support these this legislation. And there's, I think, five bills that the, the Senate uh, and the Judicial Committee is really trying to pass. And I don't know how many times and how many different senators in their questioning went, tried to go from CEO to CEO. Do you support the legislation? Yes or no? And many of them were trying to say, well, we support some aspects of it, some aspects we could support, but it's not executed right. It's a, and uh, I think Zuckerberg's can more than once. It's more nuanced than just yes or no. And but all they wanted was yes or no. And if you say no, oh, so you're in favor of killing kids. That that's basically what. It, if you say no, and if you say yes, then it's yeah, we agree that you should control us. The government should control this whole industry. So it was such an enormous threat to this to the whole. You can think of big tech or of social media, and that's the whole atmosphere. So I think of it, it, it's basically extortion. We're trying to extort your approval 
with the threat, sometimes veiled and sometimes open, of we may destroy your companies if you don't cooperate. I mean, cooperate. Yeah, that it reminds me of for people who've read Atlas Shrugged in our audience. Th there's a, uh, definitely aspects of this that remind me of uh, some of the trials that arise there or the hearings. And, the, and I think the point you're raising about it's being in a, a kind of extortion, it, there is a, a need on the part of the politicians to extract from the, from the CEOs a confession of culpability. Yes, we're doing bad things and we support you in, in for putting us in a cage and telling us, here's our leash, you know, to, we're going to wear it with, we're going to voluntarily support it, as opposed to what I think is in the background, which is, we'll come after you and we don't care if you agree or not. But I think there, there is something significant about the attempt to extract this moral uh, account accountability on their part. And as we've said earlier, it, it's a complete distortion of what the, couple, the responsibility is, but I think it's telling that that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to hold them uh, down by getting them to confess to basically you're killing children and who, in the audience who hasn't really tracked this issue or thought about it, who could hear that and not think, well, so you're a child killer and what worse things, I mean, there are worse things, but what worse things can you say about a social media company that is used by so many young people? This is the kind of moral intimidation and extortion, as you put it. I, I think there's other things to talk about here. So one aspect of this, you said they went through and yes or no, do you support this legislation? Which it, it really is unnerving when you watch that because it, it does have the feel of a trial. It does have the feel of they're being trapped. There is no yes or no to some of these questions. And I think the other part of this is the all the way through threaded is this issue of section 230, which is a provision of a communication act from a couple of decades back that gives or, or is seen to give social media companies a, uh, a shield against certain kinds of liability. And we'll get into what that actually means and how to think about it or how we think about it. But the important thing is that this was waved over and over as, okay, you guys don't know how to police yourselves. You guys are killing children. We're going to revoke this. We're going to take away Section 230. This is what's keeping you in business. This is what's enabling you to profit over the deaths of innocent people. And that's, the, that's one part of the looming threat. It isn't only that we're going to enact new legislation. We're going to revoke some of the things that you, are, you companies are using to, uh, uh, to appear to, to protect yourself. So why don't we talk a bit about what this Section 230 is and why it's coming up so frequently in this context. Ankar, how do you understand it and what is its relevance here? Yeah, so it, it's about the liability that these companies, social media companies, things like Facebook, Meta, uh, Twitter, now X, TikTok, the kind of liability they can face for content that is uploaded to their platforms. And so if you think of the, what Lindsey Graham brought up in the clip, it's, there's this, I mean, I'm, I'm going to assume the set of facts is the set of facts. So it's these people in Nigeria posting and they're doing a kind of bribery extortion using sexually explicit photos from a minor. Um, 
yeah, that's illegal activity. That, but there's the question, who's liable, who's responsible and so potentially culpable, even of negligence or of worse, for that content being up? And it clearly is the, peop the primary responsibility is the criminals who put this content up. But there's an issue of then what kind of liability do the companies face? And part of what two, Section 230 is about, right, like the, the crucial section in regard to liability, is that the, the platforms like Facebook, X, are considered platforms, not the content provider or creator. So they're not like a newspaper that is responsible for the content in its on it the pages of the newspaper on the website now of the newspaper that they exert a kind of editorial control and so they have a kind of responsibility of is what you're putting up proper is it legal is there illegal uh, content and so on and that can include copyright but here here it's really about criminals using the platforms in this particular hearing that was the focus and um, I think the issues of liability, and we can talk more about this, are complex, but it's certainly not unreasonable to think of these platforms as they're not publishers in the way one thinks of a newspaper. And that it's, I mean, it's, it's millions and millions and millions of people uploading content every minute. And the idea that the, these companies or could be scrutinizing it in the way you think like the editorial board of the newspaper is laying out the newspaper and what's going to be the cover story and so that's not what's going on so that the that there was a view that they should be treated differently and there were some legal cases and and that were going on in the i think late 80s early 90s of some judges were treating them more like they're the publishers of the content and so have a, more of a responsibility for the content of it and the so that's what section 230 is about and so the threat of where well, we're going to repeal this is we're going to one way to think about it is we're going to treat you like a newspaper publisher who's responsible for everything on these platforms and that it's such an irrational threat is However, liability should work here. It's clearly not what you should think of X or Facebook like they're a newspaper. Like that's not the way to think about it. And so that's part of why it's a threat. It's not honest grappling with what should the law be in this area. It's just, we will take this away from you and we know that will really harm your profits. Yeah, I think it was, um... Klobuchar, who said, open the courtroom doors. That's what we need to do here. We need to expose you to the, the legal system and then have people come after you. And then if you notice as well in the Josh Hawley clip, should people be able to sue you? Why don't these people sue you? And, and I think this is another kind of uh, aspect. This is another aspect of the intimidation uh, against these companies. I, I think Section 230 has been in, something that has been debated for a long time and is clearly an undercurrent, more than an undercurrent, of an, an attempt to find opportunities to bring it up and to push back on it and, and repeal it. And I, I think of this hearing as 
again, I don't think that actual genuine concern is the fate of children who are being exploited or, or mistreated by others through these platforms. I think that's a uh, superficial aspect of it. I think it's just, it's another opportunity just to raise this uh, agenda of trying to repeal it. And I think that the point made earlier about it being bipartisan, I think there was a, a very strong uh, repeated claim that we can get our act together. We, we're all aligned on this. Now, why can't we get this forward? So don't blame us, the politicians, if we can't rein in these social media companies, blame them. And I think there was a point that you, I think you mentioned before we went live about they the politicians are complaining that social media companies like Facebook and Instagram, and they have lawyers and the lawyers are throwing up roadblocks and opposing this, which in any other context, that would be bizarre. It's you've been accused of a crime and you, you have a right to a lawyer to represent you. And that's something that you're being criticized for. I mean, that's so foundational to the legal system that you should have the competent legal representation that you pay for. And that, that so this is, I think it's a smear against them that, oh, you've got fancy lawyers and big money. So you're going to stop us from uh, uh, putting you under regulatory control. And again, they wouldn't, I don't think they would have this attitude in another context where the, the, the alleged crime is something more familiar. Uh, so I, I think there's, there's a unsavoriness to the whole experience to watch this is, it's really unnerving because I think the, the final thing I'll say about the attitude of the senators is, I think they varied in, in sort of what they projected, but there, a number of them definitely project a strong authoritarian manner. I think Josh Hawley definitely did this. And I think Ted Cruz definitely did this in the way they were badgering the CEOs, the way they were treating them as scolding them like children and worse and, and treating them like criminals. And that, it, it, I mean, I, I keep thinking this has had no place in the American system. This is, it's so perverse that you would bring in business leaders who've created something out of nothing, who are embodying some of the most distinctive values that this country has been built on, innovation and risk-taking and uh, just the, this building companies to scale, which is such a distinctively American uh, enterprise and treating them as if they're the enemy and that you need to crush them. There's something really perversely anti-American here. And that's you, you can bracket the question of what are some of the legal issues and the question of liability, which you raised, but just that as a, an atmosphere that we're going to bring in people who are every day managing enormous enterprises which is an, a tremendous feat. And even if you disagree with how they're running their companies, even if you just don't like their products, that is something admirable. And building those companies, I think is something tremendously admirable. And yet these are the people who were brought forward and, and presented to us as beneath dirt. They're, they're, they're child killers. And this, this just, I don't think there's any honesty behind this uh, agenda. It's, it's really, uh, I read it as, a desire to expand authoritarian control over the best, some of the best people in one of the best industries that we've had in this country for the last 50 years. Yes, it's an, it's an incredible power grab on the part of the government. And the whole atmosphere 
is anti-individual rights and anti-law in any proper conception of the law and of what law in the American system means. This was anti-law. Um, and it, so the authoritarianism that you're, that you're seeing and what you're bringing up is, yeah, we're above the law. Um, and the law doesn't really exist in America. So you brought up rightly about the CEOs dare to have lawyers. And it was, some of the senators put it, lawyers and lobbyists. Who do the lobbyists go to? They go to the politicians like these people. And the simple thing that these politicians could do is close their door to lobbyists. The idea that it's the company's fault when you're threatening to pass all kinds of controls, controls at the level, yes, we could destroy you. And this was openly said, we could destroy your companies and your industry. And you're not going to get lawyers and lobbyists to try to prevent that from happening. Um, and the, the whole atmosphere of it's now a sin to make money in America, in, in the clip with the Holly clip, the, you, people might not have caught this. It's um, when Zuckerberg is answering and Holly saying to make money, to make money like this is a sin. And it, it's like you've branded yourself as evil. One of the noblest things in America, this Ayn Rand comments on in Atlas Shrugged, it's one of the, the passages that readers most remember in Atlas Shrugged, they bring it up. It's called, I mean, it's, it's often referred to as the money speech. And there's a point in there that part of what's noble about America is that it invented the conception of to make money. Money's made, it's not grabbed, it's not stolen. First, it has to be made, then it can be stolen and it can be grabbed by politicians. And that's part of what is going on here. But it first has to be created, made. You put it, they've created things out of nothing. They've made these huge companies and it's a badge of honor that they're profitable, that Meta's profitable, that Zuckerberg has made a lot of money by providing a product that millions and millions of people in America and around the globe want to use, have benefited from, and they've used it to enhance their lives. And the fact that there's criminals on these platforms and so on, should that's what should be outrageous. Not that these platforms have made money, but it came up, Holly wasn't the only one to bring in, like th it, that it's, you have a black mark against you if you're making money. And the idea that they're gonna pose as the defenders of America while doing that is that's part of what was outrageous. But the whole conception of the law is, and, and it's, this is why it's anti-law, it's an anti-American law. It's that the government has unlimited power. We can do whatever we want. If we wanted to pass, they'll call them re regulations, but it's, you should call them controls. If we wanted to pass controls, to such a level that it would run you out of business, we can do it. And it's not like the constitution doesn't prevent us, the declaration of independence doesn't prevent us, the fact that you have rights, that doesn't prevent us, we could do it. We're just choosing not to do it because we think the outcome would be worse if, if other companies and platforms will come, criminals will use them, and we think it will be worse. So we're not gonna destroy you, but the, Section 230 was part of the threat, but the other part that's there is antitrust. 
And if one knows what's going on in antitrust, big tech and social media is being persecuted by the antitrust regulators as well. And that was part of the threat. One of the senators put it something like this. You're not companies, you're countries. That he literally said, you're countries. That's how powerful you are. And what antitrust is about is supposedly, I mean, the, 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 the veneer uh, that it's presented under is, yeah, the companies, big companies have too much power. We need to rein that in. We need to break you up, break you apart. It's what happened to Microsoft. And so that it's, um, that it's put your countries, you're so powerful that we have to break you up and we might break you up. So that, that's part of the threat. We might cause you uh, to forcibly disintegrate, sell off parts of your business. If you think of Meta, give up Instagram or WhatsApp. It, it, that, that's part of the threat going on here. Um, and it's again, what that means is it's because you're successful. It's because you've made a lot of money. Now you're the target, a legitimate target of the government to go after you in the alleged name of justice. So it was the, that's not what law is properly about. And if one thinks about liability, there are real issues and the complicated issues about liability of when people tell some of these platforms, there's illegal activity going on, or they, they, um, the, they don't have the right, but they've published sexually explicit photos of myself or of chill underage children. So there's real issues about the, co the companies should have some responsibility to take this down. But as you said, because of the scale of them, that's a complicated thing. Like they might get it some taken down and 50 copies reemerge from uh, 50 other people who have uploaded them. And so, and it, so it's not a simple thing to say, well, we told you to take it down and you didn't take it down. So now you're liable for this, but you could think there could be negligence that they just don't do anything to try to take it down once it's brought to their attention by whoever law enforcement or so that you've got some illegal things on your platform. So th there are real issues. And uh, my view is it's likely that section 230 is too simple. It's not the right law. There should be more law, more complex and nuanced law here that's taking account issues of liability and new issues because like, these are new products and the whole social media is a new phenomenon, a new technology. It has to be thought through carefully, but it's not the government giving carrots and sticks. Oh, we're gonna give you immunity if you fund our campaigns or support our legislation in some other area or something. That's not how the law should work. It should be thinking in terms of individual rights, what are the real liabilities, responsibilities? What would count as negligence? And, so, and that's what they should be thinking about. And they're so clearly not thinking about that. And that's what it makes it, it's anti-law. There's one concrete that I want to bring up. It, it's, it might seem small, but I think it's telling of the kind of anti-intellectuality here, which I think is underlying this perspective, it's sort of a driver of this authoritarianism and this contempt for law. And it comes almost at the very end. It's uh, Marsha Blackburn, I think another Republican, who tells us about she's a grandmother, she's a mother, she, she has kids who use this product. 
And she starts throwing at the CEOs. I think it maybe it's Zuckerberg in particular. She says something to him like, you're trying to be the premier sex trafficking website. And it's so obviously not true. That is nothing, there's nothing remotely close to what Facebook is about. Even if people do use it for that illicit purpose or for that immoral purpose. But the, the thing that stuck in my mind like a thorn and it rankles, and I think it's important because it illustrates this anti-fact, anti-truth, anti-justice perspective, which, which is how I think of anti-intellectualism. She throws out to them, we have emails from your company and we have studies from your company that say that you put the lifetime value of children at $270 each. Aren't, and then she, she throws back at them, aren't children worth more than that? And then the context is behind them are parents whose children have died or killed themselves or have been severely um, affected by bullying and intimidation and extortion. So, so she's trying to find a dollar value that they uh, are putting on and suggesting that they're, they have such contempt for human life, $270, right? What, what does that really mean? the term lifetime value i suggest if you haven't heard it before it's not what you think it means it's not the literal meaning it's a it's a term of art in business and marketing and i think maybe in, in other areas of business where it has a specific meaning it is not the the value of a human life it's the value of the revenue that you generate from a relationship with a customer and lifetime here usually means from the first time they buy your product to the last time they buy your product, not for their whole lifespan, even though that might be the same thing. It might be that you're, they're with you their whole lives. So this isn't a slip up. This isn't an equivocation. This is a deliberate distortion of what these companies are doing. So the companies are thinking about, well, if a, if a, if a user starts at, at 15 and they're with us for five years before they get sick of the platform, that's the lifetime of them as a customer and that period of time is what we project the potential revenue to be. And what she's deliberately distorting that into for the sake of a smear is you put the value of a human life at some trivial amount of money. I don't think anyone who knows what these terms mean could honestly read these supposed uh, leaked emails or whatever the source claimed to be is and understand it that way. I think you have to deliberately misunderstand it in order to make these companies look really, really bad. So this is, it's, it's to me, this is a, a stark but small example in three plus hours of uh, relentless uh, questioning that captures the this indifference to truth, indifference to fact, and, and just contempt for what morality would guide you to do here which is you would you treat would you ask the same who deserves this treatment nobody does it's, it's completely contemptible and this and again it's worth saying that this was a bipartisan hearing and both of the republicans and the democrats were really bad on this but the the republicans they have a history of of, of appearing or claiming to be on the side of of freedom on the side of capitalism and I think the more you hear from this uh, event on Congress, the more you realize that, that that's just a distant memory. It's not even close to what they're about anymore. And, but they still want to 
try to activate that in the part of some people's minds. So Lindsey Graham in the hearing brought up or uh, said something like, yeah, I'm a Republican who believes in the free market, but, and then everything I say after that is a complete contradiction to freedom, to rights, to capitalism. But they know that that's sort of part of their brand from maybe, I mean, there were issues, What was this ever true of the Republicans? But in comparison, someone like Reagan is more on the side of capitalism. You could understand somebody thinking, oh yeah, Reagan's pro-capitalist. You can't think of anybody, a Josh Hawley, a Ted Cruz, or anything as remotely interested in freedom or capitalism. And that everybody should care about this issue. There's at least two things that are ominous that you can see already happening and it might get significantly worse. This I watched the whole hearing. Sometimes I had to speed it up because it was hard to take. It was one of the most evil things I've seen in recent memory. And part of what's evil, it's all under the guise of this is law passing legislation. And so, and as I've said, my view is this is anti-law and anti the American system. But there were, so one, it's, one way to think about it is, and this is part of the authoritarianism. In authoritarian regimes, you can't criticize the government. And here that it's CEOs dare to oppose some legislation that we want, want to pass. That's, yeah, you're not allowed to criticize the government. It's similar to when DeSantis went after Disney because they objected to some um, law that he wants to pass. It's it, really like we can't have political dissent now and the government will come after us if we say, no, we don't like what you're doing. And we don't, if we say we don't fully agree with all the legislation, there's parts of it that we think are wrong or could be improved. No, you're not to say that and we're gonna go after you and we're gonna try to shame you. We're gonna subpoena, issue subpoenas to publicly shame you. So that's one aspect. And they can do it to billionaires, they can do it to anybody. So that that's part of the power grab. And then it's a power grab over this whole industry which is an enormously significant industry in various kinds of ways. I mean, it's, it's a leading industry in America because it deals with communication. There's all kinds of free speech issues. And the idea that the government is gonna take control over this industry and late in the, in the hearing, it was floated yeah, so we might get rid of Section 230 and you'll face liability and you'll have all kinds of court cases against you. We also might create a new government agency that has control over the industry. And, and then it was even said, like we did with the railroads. And if you know American history, the government destroyed the railroads. It destroyed the whole industry. The transportation in America would look vastly different today if the railroads weren't destroyed and then government builds highways. And so we go, it, you th people think of America as the land of the automobile and so on. Part of, there's a significant part of that is it's artificial and it was created by government by in part destroying the railroads. And that's what was floated at the end. And the same outcome is possible if you get that kind of government control. 
they'll destroy the social media and the big tech. And that, like, everybody in America should be concerned about that. Well, I think we, there's, I'm sure there's more to say on this topic and we'll come back to it because this is not, certainly not the end of the story. Let's, let's turn to the other issue that we were going to talk about today. And that's the uproar, or I think of it as a backlash to Taylor Swift and uh, her romantic partner, Travis Kelsey, the, the American football player. There's a number of things to say here. And I think the first thing to start with is why are we talking about it? So this isn't the kind of topic we typically discuss. So what aspect of this uh, flagged it for your attention as significant culturally or politically? And I mean, I have some thoughts on that, but I want to hear from you first. It tells you something deep about the mentality or a kind of mentality at work in the country today. And there's a real connection between what was what one witnessed if you watch this judicial hearing with the tech CEOs and what is happening with the and particularly here it's particularly with the Republicans or the so-called right and their reaction to Taylor Swift. And one way, uh, or the Taylor Swift-Kelsey uh, romance. And one way to think about it is that just as um, the tech CEOs are being penalized, attacked, and persecuted because of their success, because they're successful, I think something similar is happening and particularly with regard to Taylor Swift. And that's part of also what's interesting that she's taking the, the most of the criticism. It's not exclusively, but she's taking it the most. And I mean, she's maybe the most successful popular musician right now. I mean, certainly if you go by the recent uh, tour that she had and the money that she made uh, in regard to that, she's one of the most successful, if not the most successful, current entertainers. And they're going after her. And there's some even similar language. That So just as we were talking about that they're smearing the CEOs, and particularly Zuckerberg, because Meta is very profitable, um, they're attacking Taylor Swift because she makes money. As though, and, and again, as though like that's a bad thing and you just have to say you made money and you've now painted the person with a, with a, a, a brush that brands them a sinner. That, the, the, it, and it's the same mentality doing that. that. That's part of that. To get how deep this goes and the authoritarianism and the religion. But the religion, religion just is, and particularly when it's seeking cultural and political expression. It just is a form of authoritarianism. It's no different. And so to see that here, so the I, I think of the tech CEOs, it's a much more significant issue because it has all kinds of ramifications for law and for American business. And the, and if antitrust comes back to, to be a real weapon used to persecute businesses and so on. But there, it's the same mentality. And part of that to get, you're dealing with a real mentality here is to see something you might think, okay, like there's a popular romance, I mean, a romance between two people who are popular in the culture, one a football player, a musician, 
both at the height of their professions and they're being attacked. So you might think of it as innocuous, but if you think of it as, no, it fits the mentality, then it helps you understand and integrate what that mentality is. So let's talk a bit about some of the aspects of this backlash, what, what people might have seen. So this, I think it's, it, it really crested in the last couple of weeks because of the Super Bowl coming up. She, he's playing in the Super Bowl. She, she might be there in person. And there are, con I'll get to that in a minute, what that is significant. But I think it goes back further. I think it, it got a big spike of attention when she was made person of the year by Time Magazine. Uh, I think just last a few months ago, last year, 2023. And you were saying that this is targeting her in, in significant part, if not essentially because she's successful. And I think it's, I, I want to dwell on that because I think this is a distinctive perspective that Ayn Rand brings to moral issues. She, she has an analysis of this kind of mentality or significant elements of this mentality. She calls it, hatred of the good for being the good. And, and she uses the term envy, but in a special sense, an extended special sense to capture that because it has similarities to envy, but I don't think it's, I don't, her view is that it is exactly uh, envy. And I think it ties in with um, the idea that um, th there's something really corrupt about it. And, I, I, but I, I Sorry, there's a point. I, there's two points I want to make. I'm trying to decide which one to make. This is the point I want to make first. So, the first point is, I agree with you that the hearings are more significant and have more far-reaching implications. There's something about the Taylor Swift backlash that I think is significant in a different way and has somewhat different implications. But I, I don't know that I would agree that it's less significant for this reason. She is maybe the most popular successful performer right now. And I think that the, what I suspect is also true is she's admired for good reason by millions of people. And so in that sense, she is a kind of, I don't know the quite a heroic figure for people, but she's an admirable figure. Someone who remarkably for someone in, in the pop music, she, she does not, it doesn't exhibit the kind of nihilistic features and, and, uh, destructive behaviors that others have done, and, and at least publicly, we, we don't know what else is going on in her life. But in that sense, she's remarkably wholesome and remarkably um, tame in terms of what she sings about and what she's what she projects. So, I think the argument is that a, a big part of the resonance she has with young people, and particularly young girls just is that there's something really cool about her. She's, she, you can look up to her in important ways. And, and I think the part of it that maybe isn't voiced, which I think is there, but it's important, is the point you made about her, how successful she's been. So I think she started as a teenager singing, she was in the country music scene, and then she grew into a popular musician. And that arc for someone who's still so young, that is a remarkable achievement financially as, as a business person, right? So I think one of the things that people recognize about her is there is a, at least she has people with her, if not it's coming from herself, a savviness about her career and her business and how to control what she's doing. So this isn't, to, I'm not here to, to sing her praise, but I think the important ways in which she is 
admirable for good reasons over and above the music that she produces that people like and resonates with them. And I think it's precisely because there are real observable traits that are good about her and that people would want to emulate. There's aspects of her that someone starting out would want to emulate. There's a real ethic about working and production. And, and when you think that she's being singled out, I think that's, that's really destructive of, uh, for, for young people in particular, because there are, how many other people can they look up to? I mean, there's some athletes, but even then you get into all sorts of messy situations with her personal life. So there's something about her as a, a figure that people admire over and above the music that she produces. And that the attack on her is an attack on some of those features however you think of them. And I think there, there are some good, there's real positives there that are important to note. Uh, so in that sense, I think it's, it's sort of a counterpart to the business side of things because there's a lot of virtue in the side of companies we've been talking about in the first part of the conversation. Yes, I agree completely with that, the, that, it, that I view the tech CEOs as more significant is for the consequences of what the government will do and the kind of power they will seize and they will use this as a part of the way they seize that power. And particularly because the, the in, in comparison, if you say this Taylor Swift, as you say, she has millions of fans and so on. The tech CEOs have millions of users. They don't have millions of fans. The people won't defend them in the way that they'll, like part of the kind of, the discussion about Taylor Swift is, well, do you really want to anger the Swifties? Because they'll, they'll defend her and so on. Who's defending the tech CEOs? And so it's much more likely that the opponents of the good, and it, I, it's right, I think, in both cases, it's hatred of the good for being the good. They're going to succeed, but it's much more likely they'll succeed in regard to the tech CEOs. And it, that will be like, it will have such detrimental consequences in the US. But there's a way in which the Taylor Swift issue is more revealing of the mentality because there's less of any plausibility to it. And that's part of what you were emphasizing that she, she has so many admirable qualities. And I don't listen to the music and I was thinking, uh, 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 to to reinforce that, it, like I'm not a fan, in the sense that I listen to the music. I was thinking, if somebody gave me tickets to a concert, I would sell them, and if I couldn't sell them, I still wouldn't go. Um, but it's clear that she has, I mean, a real fan base that she has some kind of genuine connection to, and that um, it's like she genuine connection means she values them in an appropriate way i think so that she's making money there's not anything like she's exploiting her fan base or something like that um in the way that say trump exploits his base and when you look like the fundraising he does and how much bogus it is there's nothing like that and from the other direction as you said the fans admire her for real virtues of uh, her dedication, her ambition. She's a performer and she writes this, most of the songs. So, there's so many good things. Like It should be a quintessential American success story. And to turn it into, 
well, she should be ashamed about this and that she's making money. And how dare she speak? And that's also the, the connection to the CEO, the CEOs. How dare they challenge us? So here, it's not true that the these right-wing talking heads um, don't want celebrity endorsements. And it, 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 I mean, this is a part people have pointed this out, like somebody like Kid Rock, who's like a way lower in terms of um, a name than Taylor Swift. If, if they say things they like, then it, oh yeah, we embrace them. If you have someone that she, they think of it, they have the wrong political views, it's all of a sudden, shut up, be quiet. And there's also, I think, unquestionably, an element of that she's a woman. And this is part of what explains why the, it's so much more the animus towards Taylor Swift than Travis Kelsey. And if anything, you would think just of sort of what the story is. And I mean, I don't know if all the details are right. and so, But it's, if anything, you would think he's the instigator. So if there's some the conspiracy or plot to do this, it's he was trying to get a date with her or reach out to her. It's he would be the mastermind and the orchestrator. And that all the, almost all of it is directed towards Taylor Swift. It's how dare a woman be successful, ambitious, want to make money. And I mean, she clearly wants to make money. Um, and that, I mean, so, so she has so many qualities that, the, and this again, this kind of authoritarian, religious, tradition-bound mentality, it's all a threat to. It's like, this is not what women are supposed to do, and they're supposed to be more at home, and why doesn't she have kids? And and so and on and on and, and then they even bring up the religion. Like, she's not really a Christian, and so it's all from a perspective that she stepped out of bounds, um, or uh, that 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 we're, she's supposed to stay in, and that again, the, the that's part of the the way she stepped out is all to the good, and that when you hear some of her sort of backstory and the way that she thinks about it. It's, yeah, like I wouldn't have been treated like this if I were a man. It's, I was constantly told to stay in whatever box they said. So you're a country singer. Can you really go into, and go into pop and can you do this? And, and that she faced all kinds of uh, opposition and barriers because she was a woman. And you can make too much of that but you can also downplay that in a way that I think that it's part of the phenomenon and people sense that there's something like there's something it, there's something it's because she's a woman and that tells you something about the mentality on the other side. Yeah. I wanted to emphasize this point because I, I in, in reading about this issue, so we, we, we bypass some of the conspiratorial thinking, but let me just note that. And then we'll come back to this other aspect So the conspiratorial aspect, which we should talk about briefly is that, one of the crazy uh, conspiracy fantasy claims has been that this is all this relationship is a, is made up. It's a or some have said that it's a, a psychological operation, a, an attempt by the, the parts of the government to, to manipulate. And the ultimate outcome of all these uh, fantasies is that she's going to swing the election for Biden 
and how dare she and, and as you said this is it's not as if the, the people making these claims are averse to uh, famous people on who mouth the views that they want to hear they're not averse to that they're just averse to uh, uh, someone who might be on the other side so to speak and we'll come back uh, i want to come back briefly to the kind of conspiracy uh, side of this but the, I want to emphasize the point you're raising about here, uh, the fact that an aspect of this is that she's a woman. When I was reading about this, what leapt, what really struck me is the, the tribal mentality here. And I think what you're saying helps me just see this a little more clearly in that I watched a clip of Charlie Kirk. So Charlie Kirk is a, a figure on the Trump supporting right. He's the head of an organization called Turning Points USA, which is a youth movement. It's very big. And my view of him has been that he's cratered. He's just more and more contemptible with every minute uh, that I've tracked his work. The The clip, we're not going to play it here, but you can find it and put it in the show notes. The, the clip is him on his podcast with some other panelists. I don't know who they are. The, what they're railing against is Taylor Swift, as you mentioned some of these aspects, that she's... Uh, how is she a, a, a role model? That's the, one of the questions there is. How, she's, what's virtuous about her for young women? She dates a lot of men. She complains. She ruins men's lives. I don't know where, she, where they're getting any of this. And there's no redemption for her. She's that bad. And what else does she say? Well, she's not a Christian anymore. And here's another uh, significant thing for them, which is she's turning kids away from God and Christianity and towards the left or the so-called woke uh, phenomenon. And she's making young girls dress slutty, whatever that means. And she, and then on top of this, she's not talented. I don't, I don't, <laughs> I don't this is not about arbitrating her talents, but it's just is not credible on its face. It just sounds really bizarre. She's, she's not have any kids. She's not a role model. She's not have any kids and she's pursuing money. So, so I think what you're emphasizing is that a significant part of the reaction is because she's a woman. And I, I agree with that. And I think it's, it's really helpful to see it that way. The reaction I had when I first saw this clip was to the another element of this, which is take every single one of these claims against her lacking virtue. So she is not a role model. She's she's not married. She's not making kids. Uh, she's she's in some sense, if you add all these up, she's immoral. She's not a virtuous person. Every single one of these things is true of Donald Trump. Like he's not a role model for anybody. I think the, the Christians on in the conservative movement will admit that he is not a role model. In fact, some of them may like him because he's not that. He, he's openly flouted the, flaunted the fact that he, uh, he's a womanizer. He, and there's just terrible things that are known about him. And what, has been, what was said about Taylor Swift in this podcast by Kirk is that she's a narcissist. I, I'm not here to to diagnose someone with a psychological condition, but it's it's credible that you can make the same uh, claim about Trump. So all of these things that they are attacking her for, you would do, if you held these as actual standards and you cared about these as actual values and you were concerned with morality and with, with uh, finding admirable people to emulate, if these were truly held values, you would hold them hold everyone up to these standards. You wouldn't single her out and, and say she doesn't live up to them. She's trash. She's irredeemable. And then Donald Trump gets a pass. How does that work? And I think the way that works is in part, it's she's a woman, so we treat her differently. But I think the, the, a 
fundamental part of this is just it, this is what a tribal mentality looks like. It is not concerned with the truth. It's not concerned with actual values. It's she's not part of who we are. She's stepped outside, as you put it, the the. I mean, as I would put it, rather, she stepped outside the conventional tracks that we're used to. She's doing something we don't like. Women shouldn't be doing this. This is not what we're used to. We can't process this, so we're going to attack it. And I think this is an interesting way in which the tribal mentality that uh, our authorities have told us women should be at home making kids, not pursuing money. They shouldn't be dressing like this. They shouldn't be voting this way. All of that offends our uh, circumscribed approach to life. And that's what we've been told. And we aren't thinking about these as principles. We're just thinking about these as boxes that people are sp supposed to fit into. And insofar as she does step away from that, as she is uh, at odds with these supposed values, then I think it, 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 it integrates with this perspective of they hate her for the good things that she's done. So the way, as you put it, the ways in which she's uh, uh, at odds with the, this whole tribal perspective, it's primarily because of virtuous aspects. And I think this is a, a nexus point between the tribal way of thinking and where it degrades to a hatred of people for being good, for, for stepping away from tribal patterns and questioning them and being independent. Uh, so so the, I found that really disturbing about Kirk. And there's other things to say about here, but I think the, the essential for me was just, it it was so blatant an example of contempt for all the things that they claim to be their principles and their values, at least their, their announced principles and values. And, and that's really disturbing to me. Yeah, it, it's, so I put it in terms of there's a mentality at work here. Another way to think about it a little more intellectually. So it, it's ascribing a little more of an intellect to these people that I think they actually have but it's so loathsome a worldview. And I will say something here, a little psychological. There's no plausibility to put um, Taylor Swift as a narcissist and not Donald Trump. Taylor, Taylor Swift is, uh, you brought up that she's on the cover of Time, Person of the Year. Donald Trump has to invent covers with him on on the cover and he, i mean in mar-a-lago had and this is before the election of 2016 fake covers with of time with him on it um and there's real covers with him on it but it, it it's he so has to prop up his pseudo self-esteem and he's doing it over and over there's i mean i don't know if this is true but there's news stories about that he's outraged that Taylor Swift was the person of the year on the time and not him. And he should be the one. And the, the, there's people in the circle quoting him as I'm more popular than Taylor Swift. And so it's like, it's such a zero in regard to self-esteem Trump is, but this phenomenon is that, and I'll, I'll say this as a heterosexual male, it's such a loathsome view of this view of women. The idea that you find it threatening, an ambitious, successful, smart, thoughtful, hardworking woman, like that's, that's threatening. And what I want them to do is say what I've already heard and do what I've already seen a hundred times and stay at home and raise kids in a completely conventional 
thoughtless way and teach them the religion that we've been teaching for a hundred or 200 years. We have no idea if it's true and we couldn't care, but we just want to keep doing it. So, like that's your view of life and a view of a romantic partner and something, and that you would, that, that you would think that for Taylor Swift, there's not all kinds of things to admire. There's all kinds of things that you find threatening and that you want. It's such a loathsome view. And to say that this is a mentality, this is part of the mentality that's behind the a ban on abortion, of overturning Roe v. Wade, of being hostile to uh, birth control, and, and that women having this kind of control and freedom over their lives, that you want to take that away, is in part because you want to put them back in a box in which I'm comfortable and I can cope with and I, I don't have to think too much and I will already know what's going to happen. So that, that, that is a, like, it's a confession of a view of life that I find so loathsome that it's, yeah, it's hard to watch Charlie Kirk, for instance. I think Ayn Rand had a, a line that resonates with me. And I think of these, uh, I don't want to call them thinkers, but these people is that this is the, the voice of the dark ages rising again. And I, and I think this is what's, part of what we haven't talked about which i think is significant is that these aren't fringe people on the conservative universe that these are charlie kirk has a massive following and not just with young people and some of the other people we haven't mentioned but uh, ramaswamy who was a failed candidate for president or he was trying to become a candidate president he was the one who was circulating one of these conspiracy fantasies about this whole relationship being cooked up and then other figures on Fox News, I don't recall all of them, but that the, this, and I think they, I don't want to ascribe to them the views that I heard from the Charlie Kirk episode, but there's definitely echoes of the same kind of reaction to her that should make everyone pause and think, why, how could you possibly be uh, against her? And it's, it's interesting that the, this sort of team perspective on on politics it's it's we've talked about it in other contexts but the, it's we don't like her because of how she would make people vote what what are you thinking what this is just so not the way to think about the issue even if i don't agree i don't even know what she would tell people how to vote and even if she tells people how to vote for biden you have to know what the reasons are and does she have arguments for it and is she right about them is she partly right she wrong about them. That's not at all a question on the table. It's she's going to make people do what we don't want them to do. They're, they're the wrong team. She's going to make them stronger. And that you, I mean, I often think about that kind of mentality as, yes, if you were on the plains in a primitive country and you worried about the other tribe stealing your sheep and anyone who looks at you askance, you're going to try to slit their throat. That's really the, the kind of mentality we're talking about. It's not a mentality that engages with the world and thinks and tries to understand it. It is such a regression. Even if people don't look like they're primitive, this is fundamentally a primitive mentality. Uh, and I think the, the final thing I want to just, just bring out, and we can do this briefly, is the I don't want to entertain the claims and, and try to refute the claims about this being cooked up and, and the arbitrary aspect of these conspiracy fantasy, but I think I just want to point to them and we people can look at other episodes we've done where we've gone in more depth about what this means in terms of a, a method of thinking or non-thinking and the, sort of the, the 
epistemology here. And, and the, what I'll flag here, and I'm interested in if you have further reactions to this, is this is a, a distinctive objectivist way of understanding knowledge, which is there's more than just true and false. There's also a category called the arbitrary. And I think I've heard you, you put this with, um, in different contexts. The arbitrary is, is, it's not false yet. It's not an effort to understand that's gone wrong. It's not an effort. It's just claims that are coming from nowhere based on nothing without concern for any, any truth or falsehood. And, and, there, and I think in, in Dr. Peacock's book on objectivism, he likens it to a parrot squawking and it sounding like something intelligible in English, but it's, it's really nothing like that. And to me, the, the aspect of this that I, I wanted to flag is one, that this is what these conspiracy fantasies are. They're completely arbitrary. They're, they're not the sort of thing to refute because to do that gives them legitimacy. And it's an endless quest. You can never actually refute one of these things. The, the aspect that I think is disturbing is the way in which this become, has become mainstream in the last 10 years. I think the, the birther uh, the, uh, lie about Obama made this, help bring it out of the fringes. And I think Obama, uh, the, the Trump administration made this even more uh, mainstream. And I think now someone like Ramaswamy, one of the things I read about him is, which was startling to me is that before he ran for government, for, for president, he wasn't like this. He wasn't touting all sorts of wild conspiracy theories, which I didn't know, which makes me think worse of him and worse of the people he's trying to uh, attract, which is if this is the currency by which you attract following politically, that is really disturbing. It means you're not trying to appeal to the best of people and to convince them and show them the truth of your position or that you have virtues for which you should be elected and, and trusted with political power, but that you're gonna to appeal to the worst of the worst in the sense of they're not interested in thinking, they're interested in being manipulated and told things they wanna hear and complete so as i've been i said more than i actually planned to say but i just want to hear if you have any further thoughts on this issue yes so i agree the, the these conspiracy fantasies are not worth addressing they're not an attempt to figure things out to reach the truth but what i found revealing in this episode that and this that this happened and there's so many floating around is a number of them watching them, they know what they're doing. They know they're manipulating their base, that it's the pretense of being concerned with truth invest investigation. We just want to get to the facts. And one of the ways they do this is, yeah, I'm not saying this happened. I'm not claiming this is, I know that this, I'm just asking questions. As though you can, any question that pops into your head that you can imagine, as though that's a legitimate question. So all I'm doing is asking questions. Is it, this a psychological operation? Is the Biden campaign behind all this? When you don't have a thread of evidence to think any of this is going on, but to, 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 to against the pushback, but you don't have any evidence for any of this. Oh, I'm not claiming it. I'm just asking questions. But you have to have even evidence and reasons to raise a question and to think it's a real question that there's something now here to investigate, to think about, to, to process more. And they have nothing and they know they have nothing, but they don't wanna just openly say, yeah, look, I've got no evidence. I don't know anything. I'm a total zero. 
But this, so they'll say, oh, no, I'm just like, I'm an investigative reporter. That's what the kind of pretense it is. And I'm just asking questions. I'm not saying it happened. And the, someone like Ramaswamy, who's doing this, he's, I mean, he's run the company. He's intelligent. He has had past achievements. I agree with you when you put it like, this makes me think lower of him. He's so clearly pandering slash manipulating the base and even his endorsement of Trump and this is that it's, yeah, I'll do whatever it takes to get political power. I, I'm uninterested in the truth. And that, so again, that this episode's revealing to see people seizing onto it when they clearly know that what they're doing is illegitimate. That is to, to get the, that there's a mentality here and that it has taken significant hold in the Republican Party and the right. Like that is something to note. And I've seen some, so it's not as though this is universal yet. So I've saw someone like a Megyn Kelly pushing back against, yeah, like I know some of these people and I think some well of some of these people, but this is crazy what they're doing um, in terms of these these conspiracy fantasies around Taylor Swift. And so so there's still some who will say, yeah, like this is beyond the pale but it's becoming more and more just the way that they function. And that, again, the, 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 this episode is revealing of that. It's, it's very revealing of that. One final thought for me, and we should close it. Um, in passing, just thanks to all of you who are in the Super Chat. We didn't get to your questions, but thank you for your support. We appreciate it. And everyone else listening and watching, please like and share the video and send us, put your comments. We do look at them and you can reach out to us. I, the, the final thought I wanted to bring out is that I've been thinking a lot about these issues broadly and, and in these concrete episodes that we've been talking about. And one of the things that I, I wanted to reflect on is just the power of Ayn Rand's insight onto this mentality. So she, we've, and this has come up in a number of podcasts and I, I, I think it's, it, it's not an accident because she was right about this becoming a salient feature. So she wrote a piece called The Age of Envy uh, decades ago, identifying this mentality in a profound way and, and, and identifying how it's empowered and, and reinforced in important ways by the morality of altruism, which is the conventional view that people hold, and how it distorts people's thinking. And then another piece that I think is highly relevant here is... Uh, selfishness without a self, the, the conception of what it means to have an identity as a person and what that kind of person, what happens to the people who don't develop that. And I think there's definitely uh, significant figures in our political space who are like this. And there are other pieces that are relevant to understanding this. So th these are the two that I, I, I want to flag. And the point I take from this is that it's it's a really powerful illustration of I could watch this hearing, all three hours of it, and I can watch this uh, uh, abhorrent attack on Taylor Swift and her boyfriend, and I could sit there and rage, but, and I, and I was angry, and I am angry about both of them, but what unlocks it and makes it intelligible, even if it is horrendous, it what makes it intelligible and therefore challengeable and something to be offset is having the ability through uh, objectivist principles and ideas 
to make sense of this. And I think that this is part of what is so important in a culture like ours, which is, I think in, in, in important ways, not uniform, but in important ways, our culture is degraded and decadent. And, and it's, it, I mean, there are definitely bright spots and we can talk about them in another context, but it's in important fundamental ways, it's decadent. And it's, I think part of the atmosphere of our culture is people don't know how to make sense of it. And they're, and they're outraged by certain things, but they're, I think they they feel in a deep sense kind of feeling lost intellectually and th this is a a way in which i think ayn rand offers such value over and above I and mean, there's so much more to say about the value of objections but just as an example of it is that it helps you make sense of issues like this and then to get at the core of what the threat is and how to untangle it and um i mean i have this experience often but i think this is this one i've been thinking about this kind of issue lately and it, to me this is a one more instance of the tremendous power that objectivism can offer a person in their thinking and particularly as you're trying to navigate an irrational culture let me say one thing in in regard to that as a kind of closing which is yeah i agree with you with everything you said and that it's the philosophy helps you understand process what is outrageous what is evil here but we shouldn't lose sight of the fact both of what the philosophy teaches you and what one's orientation should be it should be towards the positive and it should be towards values and part of what objectivism and Ayn Rand teaches you is what to, what really you should value and how to value it and in both of these cases the central thing is there's something really valuable here that is under attack and you should be outraged by the attack precisely because there's something so valuable here. So what the tech industry has done and as social media as one significant aspect of that is an enormous achievement that has made our lives better. And the idea that now they're going to be treated like criminals and attacked, that's outrageous, that's evil. But the primary is to speak up in defense of the and to talk about what their achievement is why it's achievement why they should be admired because they have admirable qualities and characteristics and it's the same in regard to taylor swift part of what is so outrageous and evil about it and that's what we were talking about is she's being attacked for her virtues and you should be celebrating those and even like as i said i'm not a fan of the music but i can see that there there's something really that one should respect here. There's something admirable in what she's done and what she's been able to achieve. And the idea that one's reaction to that would be denunciation, hatred, or and these kind of smears, it's outrageous, but it's outrageous because there's something good here that you should be acknowledging, celebrating, recognizing. And far from that happening, it's been attacked. And that's, that's where the outrage and evil should come from. It should come from an orientation towards the positive. Well, let's draw a line here. Thanks everyone for watching today. And those of you with the questions in Super Chat in, in, in the live stream, we welcome your questions and we will be here to answer them in different settings. We are planning to do more of those Q&A episodes. We always welcome your feedback. You can write to us new ideal at einrand.org. If you have a question, 
you can send it to experts at aynrand.org and we'll try to include one of your questions in our future podcasts. That's uh, a plan we have. You can see it on the screen. And I think we'll put some uh, resources in the show notes after this episode uh, goes up. So thanks, everyone. We'll see you next time. You've been listening to New Ideal, a podcast from the Ayn Rand Institute. If you like what you hear, leave us a review, share with a friend, and subscribe to our other podcasts. This podcast was made possible by donors to the Ayn Rand Institute. Help support this podcast by becoming an ARI member. Go to aynrand.org forward slash membership.